I know, I know. It's political season, and we will do all of that today, from State of the Union to healthcare policy to the Democratic primaries, but we will keep first things first in a moment on this week's Corey Truax Show. It is indeed a commitment I made a long time ago that we would spend our time together every week making sure we started with, uh, you know, while the show was permeated by a biblical worldview, doing something that is directly related to having biblical thinking uh, advance in us and develop in us. And so my my prep sheet today, admittedly, it's 90% politics or at least policy in politics, but I I want to keep that commitment and keep church things before us first, and so I'll do it very quickly with just two things happening in the church world, and then we will move on into this very weird season we are in in American politics. We'll start that in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything here on The Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening on 91.9 and 92.9. His radio talk on Saturday mornings. Glad to have you. Or if you are listening to the podcast, hey, thanks. Appreciate that very much. You can find that podcast anywhere you find podcasts. I would also mention here at the top, you can support the show. You can do that over at anchor.fm or on the Anchor app, as some of you already do. You can support the show monthly, and I'm grateful that you do. What else am I? I'm the pastor for teacher... uh, That's not right. The pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church in Greenville, South Carolina. We would love to have you any given Sunday morning. That's Beachwood Church, Greenville, South Carolina, Sunday morning at 1030. Especially, listen, I know this is a draw for some people. We're about to start talking about things like the Olivet Discourse. The book of Revelation, the eschaton, the way things end, the way this age ends. And so uh, our lead pastor, Doug, he's going to do that. I'm glad it's not me. (laughs) He's done a lot of work. He's probably the smartest guy I know. So if you're into such things, come on by. Sunday morning, 1030. We'd love to have you. All right, let's start with two church-related things, and one of them will bridge into politics and what's going on in the culture. I'm going to start here. Over on the Christian Post, I would argue the first or second most notable of all of the Christian media outlets, there is an interview and story about local big pastor, at least once was, Perry Noble, and the church that he reached. I should do some background there, not make the assumption everyone knows who I'm talking about. Perry Noble, of course, was the longtime pastor of New Spring Church. Their home campus is there in Anderson. They have 14 campuses, I think it is, statewide, and certainly it's not even close. I mean, the largest church in in the state, tens of thousands, I think somewhere around 20,000 show up for Sunday services. Um, a, few, a few years ago, 2016, I think it was, in July, he was removed from that very large church uh, for... There were some marital things. There was alcohol abuse. Uh, I think they called it an over, an over reliance on alcohol. I think is how they phrased it then. So, uh, in, in any event, it's not important to relitigate all that. He, he, uh, he was removed there. I think he went to some kind of rehab thing. If I recall, it was out in Arizona. I used to follow him on social media to see what was going on. And then he started a church called Second Second Chance Church down in Anderson. And he, they're they're about to start a big. Uh, campaign to raise raise some money and get to a new building, all that. The point of it, my the story is this. 
in this interview with Christian Post, he said that celebrity Christian life left him empty. I just wanted to cover that for one second. This is one of the more troublesome parts of the Christian world. It's that we have Christian celebrity. And I'm going to toss out names here that even the ones I like. So before R.C. Sproul died, I love R.C. Sproul. He's a bit of a Christian celebrity. And his I don't even think he meant to, by the way. It was not his intent. It's just that he was such an effective an effective teacher. And so his 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 name and renown grew. There are some that I think, even I do like, that, that do it on purpose. Like they they grow their own brand like a Tim Keller. I love Tim Keller. He's, he, he's a top five most important teacher in my life. But it was something he did strategically out of Manhattan, New York City, to grow his own brand. And that was good for the faith, right? Because he, he's got great things to say. But he did it on purpose. One guy you'll hear talk about it on purpose is Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll was the pastor out in... Seattle Mars Hill Church? Yeah, and now he started another one in Phoenix after he was removed. But he'll talk about that. Like when it comes to conferences and books, he'll talk about himself as a brand. And he's not, that's a marketing term. That's a business term. And the church of Jesus is not a business. It never was supposed to be. But there are those who can make money off of it, and they start thinking about the church as business. Listen, it's not. I mean, there are places that there are situations and people I respect who will take business concepts out of an MBA class, a Master's of Business Administration class, who will take the business books out there and they'll bring it into the church and talk about these different concepts in business or business cycles and how it applies to the church. And straight up, guys, no, it doesn't. The the church is not a business. It doesn't operate like a corporation. And so this is one of the more poisonous parts of Christianity and noble as much as we have a lot of disagreements theologically, and I don't think he should be doing what he's doing down in Anderson now, he is at least speaking with some clarity, some perspicuity, on how poisonous that culture is. The idea of Christianity as business, the idea of Christianity as brand, to grow your podcast, your YouTube channel, your Instagram followers, uh, the conferences you get invited to. And so it's just something for us to be careful of. For the Christian... When you find somebody, even if they are speaking true things out in the culture, and it, and you get that impression that they are building their own empire, that's probably someone you should be wary of. Because we all point one place. For the Christian, we all point to Jesus. It's his kingdom we're building, not our own. Not our own name and renown. I'm not jealous for the name of Corey to be defended. I'm not jealous for the name of my show to grow. As much as I might want even that second thing, the show to grow, ultimately, I'd hope I only want it to grow so as to help grow the kingdom of God in the end. So it's out there. I think it's an interesting read if you want to go read from the Christian Post. Again, I always want to start with first things first. That's a a thing going on in the church world that might be worth your time. Second thing in the church world. I posted this over on the Facebook fan page. You can send me a friend request on Facebook, or you can also just click like on the fan page. You can do both for that matter. There was a story from Fox, Carolina, here locally, of a church. I'm not even going to give the name, because they, sh- they should be embarrassed about what they've done, or at least the pastor there should be embarrassed. The, the, there's a church in Cowpens, South Carolina, that apparently 
all the issues in Calpins are solved. There's nothing going on in Calpins, South Carolina. There's no uh, there's no poverty to alleviate. There are no marriages that need mending. Uh, there are no... Uh, th- you know what? Everyone's been witnessed to. Everyone's heard the gospel. Everything's fine with Calpins because that church decided, you know what we need with our prime real estate on I-85, with our sign, our big LED awesome sign on I-85. You know what we need to do? We need to use this resource that God has graciously given us. We should use it to make a point about Nancy Pelosi. We should use this great resource we have to get into the politics of this failing kingdom instead of saying something about the kingdom of God. If you did not see this church up in Calvin's, irresponsibly, immorally, wrongly, big put up on their LED sign out on I-85, a picture of Nancy Pelosi tearing up that speech at the State of the Union and says, shame on her. You, you, some of you get mad when I talk about the Trump presidency as a cult. That's a cult, all right? When your your job as the church is the Great Commission, your job as the church to see the name of Jesus grow, and you use your resource to defend Donald Trump, yeah, you're in a cult. You're not jealous and zealous for the name of Jesus to be defended. You're not using your resources to get that message out. You're using your resource to defend your orange man. Yeah, this I, I don't mind calling this out at all with some kind of aggression, too. Because let's get a distinction here. We, uh, we have kindness. We have patience for the pagan. We do, because we're not any better. We have this problem here. Uh, where we, in our in our flesh, there's not an unbeliever out there that's worse than I am. I know what I'm capable of, and it is some dark, stupid, really terrible stuff. You know where the actual uh, the, the folks in Scripture, like the Paul, the Pauls of the world, or I'm thinking of, am I thinking of Jude? I might be thinking wrongly. But the harshest language gets reserved for those that wear the name of Yahweh, the one true God, or wear the name of Jesus and then abuse it. That's where the harsh treatment gets gets uh, gets brought up, and I hope that pastor somehow listens to this state to this station. I doubt he listens to the podcast. I hope he listens to ninety one point nine ninety two point nine. And sir, I hope you can hear me. You should repent of what you did. You should apologize for what you did. You're also invited on this show. If any of you know that guy, you should tell him that he's invited on. If he wants to defend his decision to use. The resources God entrusted to him to make a petty political point for a politician he admires, he's invited on. I'd love to have that conversation. I'd love to do. That's actually that's the the first step in church discipline. And we talked about church discipline on the show before. You know, it ultimately happens when you tell it to the church. You bring a group. You know, what the first first step should be one on one conversation. And because this guy decided to make it all very public thing on one of the most traveled interstates in the earth, or at least on the at least in the, uh, in, in the United States. Well, let's have a public one-on-one conversation then. Good night. I'm embarrassed for that guy. What a terrible decision that was. And it just shows, again, uh, it's, it's all about mo- priorities. What's your priority here on this earth? The, the, the idea of posting that up there. I'm, we're going to get back to the State of the Union near the end of the show and all the pearl clutching around. I can't believe she tore up the speech. We're going to get back to all that madness. But th- that's something going on in the upstate as well. And to get our priorities straight, uh, you don't exist to see Republicans, name and renown, advance. We don't exist to see the president defended. We don't exist to make petty political points. That's not what we're here for. 
if you're the if you're a Christian, you're Jesus following, we're here to see the kingdom of God grow. We've been given a commission. Go therefore, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One of your commissions there is not to make points about politicians you don't like along the way. All right? Okay. I'm going to go ahead and take the first break. We kept first things first. See what we did? I'm very proud of us. But when we come back, I want to talk about the Democratic primaries, some ways to change the primary process. That's kind of backwards to me. Uh, I have some new thoughts on healthcare policy because of some things you guys sent me. Joe Biden said a very dumb thing about guns. And by the end, I'd like to get back to the State of the Union to say my piece on that. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show and Christian Talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find podcasts. Connect to me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You will find me there. One of the things you will find there is me working on piano stuff. You just heard some piano music there. I don't play that well that you just heard. Hey, but it's getting okay. And you can follow along for other content as well. For example, every Thursday on Instagram, I do Theology Thursday Trivia. And dozens and dozens of people, almost 100 people last time, participated, answered some questions. So uh, it's fun. Just a good way to, to test your biblical knowledge. So find me out there on all the socials. It's Corey Truax. Wherever you're on social media, you will find me there. Let's get to it. Primary season is going on in the Democratic Party, and it reminded me of some of the ways in which the primaries, as a concept, as a, as a process, are broken, broken and dumb. For example... The, let's just take the Democrats for a minute, even though I'm I'm going to guess the Corey Truax Show listenership doesn't vote in a lot of Democratic primaries. I'm, there's some of you. It's very few. But it's just a backwards way to do this. I think about Iowa like I and all of this important that's that's placed on that state. And then it and it's always Iowa. It's, at least it's been for about 40 years now. And New Ham, you know, New Hampshire actually has written into their state law that they have to be the first primary. Iowa is a caucus, so New Hampshire isn't breaking their law. But they decided New Hampshire decades ago that we're going to get we're going to get attention. Like we're going to be a big deal in the somehow our little our little tiny state, we're going to be a big deal by having a law that says we we've got to be the first primary. Which does mean, by the way, this has been a discussion. If South Carolina decided we're having our primary by the way, Nevada is also a caucus. So South Carolina is technically the second primary. If South Carolina decided we're going to vote for the 2024 primary, we're going to vote in 2022 for that primary. If, they, if South Carolina did that, New Hampshire says, you know what? Well, we're voting one day before you because it's in their, it's in their law. So it's a backwards process that it works this way. And I think most folks are getting frustrated with it. Even... Even with the outcomes, I mean, just consider for a minute, you know, when, when the primaries were still competitive in 2016 on the Republican side, before, before Indiana, in, after Indiana, Trump had won it. So we're talking, uh, was that in May? So there was voting in January, February, March, April, May. It took Trump about five months to win it. And then after Indiana, there were still a good 12, 13 states to vote, but it was technically over, and so... From there, you kind of run up the score, and I think Trump did end up having something like it's like 36 or 37 percent of the total votes. But when it was still competitive, he essentially won the primary with something like 28 or 29 percent of the votes. Like 
consider that. Like we only we only have so many people voting in Republican primaries. It's not many compared to the entire country. And he only needed to win like 28% of this tiny little group of people comparatively that voted to be the nominee of the one, one of the two parties. And, and that appears to be what's about to happen in the Democratic Party with Bernie Sanders. He is a he has the same situation Trump did. His his floor is the highest. So Trump won because his floor was around, was around the upper 20s to uh, lower 30s. Let's call it 30. Like he was never going to get lower than 30%. He had his consolidated group of very dedicated people. Bernie has something similar and because of our current primary system, that's enough. It's enough to just have your 30% at least if the field is very crowded, like the Democratic side is this time, and like the Republicans had in 2016. And so you have the situation where states that have no reason to be so important, like in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina or Nevada, there's no good reason for for them to be so significant. They get outsized advantage. They get outsized influence on the rest of the country's process. Let me continue to illustrate that. In Iowa... Less than 200,000 people showed up to caucus. Just fit that in your brain for one sec. We have a country of 310 million people. Only about 130,000, excuse me, 130 million or so will vote. And so I'm trying to do some like math in my head here, but if it's 200,000 people showed up for a, a country of 310 million, that's something like... Point zero zero six, or might be point zero 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 six, of the country has this gigantic uh, influence on the outcome of elections. That's of that's of course should be prima facie on its face. That's absurd that it works that way. So that you have a counter argument I want to give. The counter argument being, well, uh, if you don't have this one tiny state with no really big media markets at the beginning none of the the lower tier candidates could compete. So if you're if you for example, let's just give it uh, let's say the two two primaries first two are Dallas are, are Texas and California, like two gi- gigantic states. Well, if you don't have a ton of money, you can't get on all the med- the, the media markets, the, the the states are too big literally, just square mileage and number of people there to to build enough a big enough team to actually compete. So only the wealthiest candidates could compete. Because uh, just something very practical here. In in local news, let's say you're doing a one-hour broadcast, you're going to get, during that hour, let's call it 12 minutes of commercials, you're selling 12 minutes of ads, uh, you're going to break that up into 30-minute increments, so what's that, 24 ads? You can sell 24 ads per hour. So you're, that's your inventory. That's the, the time you have on the shelf to sell to, to people. And that, that goes for big money if you're in, in Des Moines. But if you're trying to buy that same ad on the airwaves in Los Angeles County, in, in California, you're trying to buy that ad space in San Diego, in Dallas, or Houston, San Antonio, Austin, it's so much more expensive to try to buy an ad in San Francisco than it is to buy an ad in Des Moines. Iowa. And so the argument there goes, you're only going to have the the folks who can raise the most money compete. And so I get that. I I do understand it. Nevertheless, I think the the evils of having the the system where you you don't you can win with 30% and 
this some of these for at random this Iowa state like it doesn't even switch every year like it's just always Iowa and then New Hampshire South Carolina they're getting all of this influence the evils of that outweigh the evils of only candidates with lots of money raised that should be uh the, the, that that outweighs the other so i have an idea i think i've given it on the show before we should have regional primaries i've modulated my position on this previously i i said the best system was the french system i still believe that which is hard for me to say that the french system has the best they sort of have like a tournament in voting like you everyone that's running they're all on the ballot everybody show up and vote and then if you don't meet a minimum, I think it's like 5% the first time, then your name's just thrown off the ballot, and then the French vote again a few weeks later. And then they just keep whittling it down, and the French have to keep showing up to vote. I'd love to do it that way. Like, basically, every two weeks we go and vote again until we're down to two candidates. My opinion there is because we can all vote our conscience. Like, people do this thing, I think it's unhealthy, that... Well, you gotta be, you know, gotta be practical and vote for the one who can beat the other side because the other side's so demonic and evil. We gotta be able to beat them, so you gotta vote for whoever can beat them. Well, wouldn't it be cool if we could all just vote our conscience? Wouldn't that be awesome to just go do what you think is right? God, that'd be awesome to be able to go vote your conscience. And so, uh, I love the French system, but I would be okay with regional primaries, and then you, you cycle every four years what region goes first. So we got our fifty states. Let's say we split that region, uh, let's go six ways. Like you split it into six regions. That would be like eight states voting per per time. And I would want to do, again, maybe a not a month apart, but maybe every two or three weeks, there's another set of primaries. So it's the southeastern primary in South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina. We'll go down and grab, um, I don't know, Mississippi and Alabama, and we're going. That's that's the that's the one, and then you're going to do a Midwest primary, and two, three weeks later, and it's going to be Indiana, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and they do a primary, and they all go on the same day. That's how I, I think we we got to change the system. It's it's backward. It's weird. It's a weird way that this little state with few. I think Iowa has fewer people than South Carolina. They have this big advantage, and then New Hampshire has like twelve people that live there. Then you go to Nevada, where the, all of the unions vote, and then you come out here. In South Carolina is your first, arguably, uh, representative state, and even, we're not all that representative for the rest of the country. I think I actually did see a study: the state that looks most like the whole country. So, if you take the demographics, income, race, education, you take the demographics of all 310 million Americans, and you tried to find the state that most similarly reflects the entire country, it's Wisconsin. That surprises the mess out of me that it's Wisconsin. But it is the, the state that most... No, it was Minnesota. It was one of the two. One of the two was the one that most rep, is most reminiscent of the entire country. So anyway, our primaries are done. And what we should do is do regional primaries, six, uh, six different groups of eight, and then have, we vote every three weeks or so until we have two candidates. All right, that's my... That's my solution on our dumb primary system. A uh, little bit of news on the current primaries. I used to consider myself something of a political expert. Like I, I say I consider myself. I, I think arguably I was. I knew a lot about this stuff. Like I, I knew a lot of the details and the all the, the moving parts and all the gears that you need to know to understand politics. And maybe it's because I'm out of practice. 
But what's happened to Joe Biden blows my mind. Like this, this guy was, I, I thought he was the, the Mitt Romney. I've made this point recently and it's, it's Ben Shapiro's point originally. I thought he was the Mitt Romney of 2012. Like all the other Democrats are going to get their time in the sun, but everyone's coming back to Biden eventually. And he's not just falling to second or third. He's falling apart. And I, I do mean this. I can't tell you why. And I wish I could. If you've got a theory, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. If you can tell me why Joe Biden is falling apart. Arguably, I think one of only two Democrats who could beat Trump. Only Joe Biden, I think Amy Klobuchar, could probably beat him. And he's, I don't know what happened to him for him to fall apart. And he's falling apart in one way because of the growth of the Bernie Sanders, of the Bernie Sanders wing of the party. What's been weirder when you look at the math of this, Bernie Sanders has, he is the Trump of this cycle because Trump was always around 28, 29, 30%. He was always there nationally in 2016. And that's where Biden is not, excuse me, Sanders hasn't changed at all. Sanders' support has been static. It was Biden's support that was way up, and then it got spread out to Buttigieg and Klobuchar. And so this rising wing of socialists in the Democratic Party seemed to have Sanders in good position to win. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. as I may not be a political expert anymore, but I, I still have a good bit of knowledge on these things. Bernie Sanders will be crushed. If Bernie Sanders is the nominee... Donald Trump doesn't just win. He he does the thing I thought probably impossible, and he grows his uh, he actually grows his votes from last time. Like that's um that's a thing you typically need. Like uh, Barack Obama didn't do it. He he got fewer votes in 2012 than he did in 2008. But he was a phenomenon in 2008, and he had he he was just this weird outlier but like George W Bush he did that um he got more votes in 04 than 2000 Clinton got more votes in 96 than 92 i just didn't think Donald Trump could do that and if Sanders is the nominee i think he's so outside with the the plurality of Americans not majority but plurality of Americans and especially voters people who actually show up to vote he's so outside of that he will be crushed if he is the nominee and then final thought on the current primaries. At least I think it's my final thought on the current primaries. Democrats should actually be troubled. If you've been following this race, turnout numbers, not, not who's winning and who's losing, but just the number of people showing up is predictive of passion. It's predictive of who will show up in November. And the numbers right now, of the number of Democrats showing up, it looks a lot like 2016, not like 2008. So you had a problem in 2016 with enthusiasm. That's, that's actually why Hillary loses. It's uh, one of my favorite stats on this. Uh, you can fact check me. I'm right. It blows my mind. But Mitt Romney in 2012 got more votes in Wisconsin than Donald Trump did in 2016. Hear that again. Romney got more votes in total than Trump did. Romney lost the state. Trump won the state. That tells you the problem. It, it wasn't to Trump's credit it was to Hillary Clinton's fault. Like she, she couldn't get the same people to show up that Obama did. And so they have this problem where it looks like the, the enthusiasm is similar to 2016, not 2008. And it is not a good, good sign for, for that party. Uh, this now I know is my last thought on the current primaries. 
I see some folks on social media that are really down about how Bernie Sanders is just what this Bernie Sanders is winning. This country's just going to socialism. All right, calm down for a second, real quick. Think, or at least really quickly is the proper grammar. Can I get you to to understand the context of the votes that you see, and then not just you, because my listeners are smart, but can you help me spread the word on this when people get really discouraged about what they see in terms of voting? It's a small group of people who vote. One of the things that actually encourages me about 2016 is barely half the the voters showed up. So it's actually about 25% of the available American adults who are eligible to vote. About 25% voted for Hillary Clinton. About 24.5% voted for Donald Trump. Then everybody else either voted third party or didn't show up. That's good news. There's a bunch of people out there who aren't doing this two-party garbage. They just need to be served by somebody. Someone should serve the other half of the country. And so when you see Bernie Sanders is winning all these votes and he's a socialist, right, guys, not even like half a million people have voted for him yet, okay? It's okay. There's 310 million of us. There's a small chunk that are voting for him right now. In context, they're not that big. They're not a big group. So don't freak out about the socialist takeover of America. It's It's not happening everybody calm down. Even if you're on the other side, like, I can't believe Donald Trump won all those votes. Well, okay. It's, of all the available votes, it's actually small compared to the rest of the country. I mean, elections have consequences, but when you're thinking about your countrymen, there's reasons for hope, so don't freak out. Okay, so there's my things on the primaries. I've had those thoughts. I think we should change our system and thoughts on the current primaries. Next up. I have some healthcare thoughts because I have been starting to pay attention a little bit more to the democratic process and paying attention to not really their debates, but at least getting the sound bites and all that. And Bernie Sanders is getting on my my nerves with something that we need to get our uh, our terms straight. It's about to sound like I'm about to beat a dead horse, like a a hobby horse of mine, but I'm going to do it quickly, I promise. He continues to talk about healthcare as a human because he can't say the word. He says human, human right. It's a healthcare is a human right. It's, and so, i got to re- correct a couple things. Uh, I can't stand that idea of healthcare as a human right for just the reason, as I've given before, give me three minutes, three minutes to do it. I know you've heard it before, but because rights, th- that word has a definition, right? So there's, it, it has to mean something. Of, and just practically, you can make it a right, and it doesn't actually change anything. Nothing actually happens. Examples, two examples. In the South African Constitution, the country of South Africa, it actually says healthcare is a human right. Do you, do you think they all have their healthcare? South, South Africa does not rank in the top. Fi- uh, I think they're in the top fifty, but barely for healthcare outcomes. So they called it a human right. They gave Bernie what he wanted. Healthcare is declared a human right. Does it mean anything? It didn't change anyone's life. It's not even better than our system, and it's declared a human right. The Europeans, most of them say, yeah, healthcare is a human right. Well, then why aren't you all getting health care? Why do you have to wait so much? Why are you still paying? It's not thought it was a human right. Why are you being taxed for it? Thought it was a human right. And so it's it's just this thing. It's very immature is my issue. Like, we got grown adults saying things like health care is a human right. You can say what you want. It still costs money. Like, that's another thing Bernie Sanders says that gets to me, like, deeply. Healthcare should be a human right, free. Should be free for all people. Literally, nothing is free. 
How are you missing this? The old Milton Friedman line. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's paying for it. There is no such thing as free health care. The same way that declaring it a right doesn't change anything. We have governments that have declared it a right, and people still don't have access to it. All right? Rights have to have a definition. Rights come in the state of nature. That if you leave me alone in my natural state of nature, no one has to listen to me, but I do get to speak. That's the First Amendment. In the state of nature, I can gather together with others and, and, and we can have our opinion joined together. Uh, I, can, I can worship my God, the state of nature. And so the Constitution says, I have that right and you can't do things to keep it from me. The Second Amendment is really, you know, it specifically mentions guns because that's the best method mankind has come up with to defend ourselves. But that is in the state of nature, you have the right to self-defense. And the best way we've defended ourselves is guns. And so in the state of nature, I have the right to defend myself. Uh, continue on with that. Fourth Amendment. State of nature is, if, if you are a, a government and I'm, I have the autonomy of myself, you can't search my stuff. My stuff is mine. And so unless you come together in a collective government, get a warrant to search my stuff, then you can search my stuff. Otherwise, in the state of nature, it's mine. It's not yours. Fifth Amendment. In the state of nature, you, I, I can't be made to incriminate myself. Now, so you can't make me do that. Sixth Amendment. Now, if you do charge me and, and, and convict me, then in the state of nature, you shouldn't be able to um, cruel and unusual, that's cruel and unusual punishment. You shouldn't be able to punish me in a cruel way. And so th- these are, in the state of nature, this is just who I am. I, I was just born with these rights. I was not born <laughs> with a- access to someone to do surgery on me. I wasn't born with a dentist attached to me or an ophthalmologist. Like, no, of course it's not a human right because words have definitions and it's obviously not free. It's just a, uh, it's, it kills me. And so I said I'd do that in three minutes. I did it in like five. But when we come back, I have a new idea that I think is unifying, I hope, on some healthcare policy uh, about catastrophic care. So when we come back, we'll do that and a lot more when you return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back for the final segment of the Corey Truax Show. We've got to go quickly to get through these thoughts. So, uh, Glenn sent me something of a policy that I think we can uh, left, right, middle at least agree upon as a rational type of middle ground. You're not going to find a defender... By the middle ground on healthcare policy, by the way, is what we're going to finish up here. You're not going to find a defender in me of the American healthcare system. It's bad. It's it's backwards. It, it's better than all of the others, but there are no really good healthcare systems. And you're not going to. Uh, you're also not going to find a supporter of me if of just irrational ideas like Medicare for all and socialized medicine. I would also add immoral ideas. Those those ruin the system. But there was this. There's idea. This idea out here of not government taking over everything, but government offering something like a catastrophic care policy that folks can pay some kind of premium into, get some help on that premium, but when but it protects people against something catastrophic, the, the worst type of diagnosis or a terrible accident. And w- while I st- still have some natural skepticism, when I'm trying to think of biblical worldview and Christian thinking around the health of humans, like this is the kind of thing I could, I can see myself 
compromising on, think, think of that, compromising politics, and getting on board with. Here's basically the idea. What we really want to stop from happening is people having their lives ruined by an accident or a disease. That their financial world is ruined. They're wrecked for life because of something happens financially. And I mean that, for life, because of something happens medically. Well, that's the tragedy we want to keep from happening. And so if there's some kind of premium you can pay into, if there's some kind of system we've got to be taxed to care for some, find the things that actually qualify for that to make sure people's lives can't be ruined by an accident or a disease, and by their lives, I mean their financial lives. I've talked about this before, something called a wealth care, not health care. What we really want is wealth care, that you, your life can't be ruined by a medical cost. That's actually how the left sold it at the beginning, sold all their health care programs, was you see, you see the horror stories of people's financial lives being ruined, so we want to, to stop that. So my point here being, you don't have to give the government every filling of a cavity every Tamiflu treatment, every swab of someone's nose or throat, you don't have to give them the entire system to stop people from having their lives ruined. Like, you can just create something else, a catastrophic care. Because believe this, here, this is just true. If you give the government the system, we will all suffer, and not just Americans, but the whole world. Because it is our, it is our system that creates and innovates and makes new things in the medical world. So we it is wrong. It's not good. It will hurt everyone to give it all to the government. But if we want to go about doing something against catastrophic care, I think I could find some compromise for that. We're getting close to the end here. I need to give you something from Joe Biden on guns that I want to respond to. This is Joe Biden. No, and by the way, those who say the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, a great line. Well, guess what? The fact is, if you're going to take on the government, you need an F-15 with Hellfire missiles. There's no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you. Well, I've got a flack for you, sir. He said flacked instead of fact. I hate this argument. I've been against this argument for a long time, and this finally gave me a chance to respond to it on my show. Because my, my Second Amendment point is the, the founders gave us a Second Amendment not just to defend ourselves, but to defend ourselves against a government that approaches tyranny. And people say, well, not with this military. You'll never be able to stop this military with the, all the weapons they have. So they obviously didn't mean certain kinds of weapons. And so he says, you're, you can't, uh, it, it's not relevant against the government because they've got F-15s. All right, tell that to the Iraq insurgency. I saw the American military not, not dominated by any stretch, but certainly hampered by an Iraqi insurgency that had nothing but small arms, and, and they made up their own roadside bombs. Tell Assad, tell the folks in Syria, tell the regime in Egypt that un, unless the, the insurgency has the same weapons you have, they can't fight back. The, the entirety of conflicts on this planet the last 10 to 15 years show you without question that folks with the same firepower can be really troublesome for a very powerful government. Tell the folks that in Hong Kong right now, if the folks in Hong Kong had any kind of weaponry right now, there'd be negotiations. It wouldn't be a slaughter. That China gets to do whatever they want because there's no actual consequence. And so that's always been a really bad argument that got on my nerves, and I wanted to address it. All right, we only have a few minutes, but so I don't get to do what I wanted to do. Um, all right, there is uh, the state of the, state of the union. Here's far as I can go. 
there was a great part at the end. Uh, this speech was apparently written by Stephen Miller. Uh, the president does a decent job when he reads other people's words. When he's giving using his own words, is often incoherent and babbling and really dumb. But when he reads other people's words, he does a decent job of it. And he did a very good job at the end of the speech tracing that we are the people of... Uh, he started going through all the stuff, all the Henry Ford. We were the people that, uh, that went out west. We were the people who did all of these things that were... Uh, you, t- you take risk and adventure. That is what we need. We need more of that. We need more of who are we as Americans? What's our identity? Where did we come from? What's our purpose? And Stephen Miller did a good job of writing it, and the president saying it is important, uh, especially in contrast to what you're hearing from the left, the Democratic Party, America as bad, bad, super duper evil, and the president reading the words of someone else that talks about, no, here's, here's who we've been and all the incredible things that we've done. That's an important message that I'm glad he he got out there. Uh, even if he's not the best vessel for it, it is true. I mean, the, on the on the margin, on the on the balance, America has been good for the world and for society at large, and that's what should be said. The last part was I I was so deeply annoyed by the reactions that people gave to Nancy Pelosi tearing up the speech. The the uh, this is something I. I can't, I can't, again, I, I, hate, I hate when people care about symbols too much. It's just a symbolic gesture. She tore up a speech. All right, I guess he's not president anymore. I guess your tax cut went away. She tore up a speech. What practical function did it serve? And if it doesn't serve a practical function, function stop getting so bothered by it. And the other part that bothers me is the folks who are clutching their pearls about how inappropriate it is and how out, out of sorts it is. All right. If you've supported this particular politician over the years, no one has been more out of uh, the the way people are supposed to behave. No one has misbehaved regarding the standards of adult polite behavior than Donald Trump has. If you've not been upset with him and how he's behaved, you can get on over Nancy Pelosi tearing up a speech. There's just an incongruity and hypocrisy there that really, really got on my nerves. We had to rush through some of the important parts at the end, but we did it. And now we're going to move on to the Super Bowl and more in sports. Are you ready? Back for the sports segment this week, we have our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. So, we had the Super Bowl, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it was a great game. I, I, Luckily, uh, I missed the halftime show because I went to get food, so I didn't see any of that nonsense. Good for you. Um, it's it's just unnecessary. I don't know. I mean, I understand why they do it. Of course, but it's just it's ridiculous. There's no need. I also missed it. Uh, and granted, if I would have been in the room, I don't know that I would have like, hey, let's turn that off. Right. I I was at my sister's house. I drove home. Right. It took about 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> and so I missed it. And then everyone was like, can you believe the halftime show? I know. That was me because I wasn't listening to the radio. I went to pick up food. The order was wrong. Had to do some things to get it straight. So I get home. And I was like, you wouldn't believe, you know. And I was like, well, I didn't see it. So I don't care. I mean, I care, but, you know, I, I kind of skip halftime shows anyway. Yeah. For the Super Bowl because it's just ridiculous to me. I still regard the best Super Bowl I ever, I ever saw yep. was the Steelers versus Cardinals when Heinz Back in the end zone. That, I yep. think it's the most dramatic. Yeah. And then I go, 
Patriots versus Seahawks. Yeah, that was a good one. Even though it had a weird ending, that game was a classic. It didn't have a weird ending. It had a ridiculous, stupid, yeah. boneheaded ending. You we, just give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. I watched that at your house. Yeah, you did. We did watch it together. We were like, what is he doing? <laughs> uh, uh, that was a terrible coaching The guy's decision. name is genuinely Beast Mode. Yeah. And, and you're two yards away. Yeah, let's throw it. Let's just throw it. And also, I know we'll, we'll, I'm going to relitigate this game, but he also put a bunch set. Yep. So let's put all 22 guys in really tight quarters <laughs> yeah. and try to throw a slant. Right. At least spread it out some. Just spread it out. And play action, I don't know. It was terrible. Draw something. But now I think this might be the third most dramatic, most entertaining. Yeah, this is a good one. Just for the comeback, you know, all the – you know, six minutes left in the fourth quarter and all that. I thought it was a great game. You want to hear something embarrassing? I tweeted at the beginning of the fourth quarter, ball game, congrats, congrats 49ers fans. Whoops. It, yeah, that didn't age well. <laughs> I, to me, San Francisco is a very good – the defense is awesome. Incredible. I don't know that Garoppolo is one of those game-end killers, yeah. put the game away type. I just don't think so. You're, and um, I think you're right. Yeah. That they're going to need – uh, to win Super Bowls like the Bucks did with Brad Johnson, or maybe like, you know, at the or end like of the Ravens did with Joe Flacco, yeah. um, and even at the end of Peyton's, or career. even Trent Dilfer, like oh, he's, yeah. he's not a killer. Was that the Raiders? No, that was the Ravens. That was the Ravens. Yeah. Oh, back then because he was gone, then they didn't even resign him after. That. Right, but you know, even by the end of, I love Peyton Manning. At the end of his career, though, it was just like, don't mess it up. They Von won, Miller will win the game. Yeah, for they you. won in spite of. Peyton not right. being top notch, but and th- that is where I am with with Garoppolo. Just don't mess it up. Yeah, and that roster around him is young and so good. Yeah, they're going to be good for a f- you know quite a few more years. Yep. Um, but how about Sammy Watkins and his Super Bowl? He had ninety eight yards. It was he, he did really well. Clutch. And catches. he messed up <laughs> Richard Sherman. <laughs> Richard Sherman on a few routes, which we all know he can run routes. But man, his release on that. One play over the over the top was just really which really near well the end done. of the game. Yeah, near the end like of the that's, game. Like that's, it's one thing to make great catches during the course of a game. It, when it's less than eight minutes to go in the Super Bowl yeah. and you show up for a big play, that's a different thing altogether. But if you're Sammy, don't you want to be one on one with Richard Sherman with the game on the line and yes. you just mess him up on the release and Without. you're running free behind him? Like it was a great play. Um, not only will he drink free in Clemson forever, and now he's going to drink free in Kansas City forever <laughs> yeah, right. because of that play. Right. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I'm glad he did really well. He had a lot of injury problems you know, when he first came to the league and yep. with Buffalo and all that stuff, but I was glad to see him do well. So this Mahomes thing, Patrick Mahomes, he's quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's real, isn't it? Like yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, there are like three young quarterbacks that could be really, really um, – Hall of Fame type quarterbacks in the coming years. Yeah, I, I throw Deshaun Watson in there. Me too. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in there. Uh, I think we, we'll still see how Kyler Murray does. Of course, he's stuck in Arizona, so I mean, yeah, it's really not his fault that he's there. Like you know, high draft picks go to bad teams. But. Right. The on the quarterbacks, I, I will admit again, I was I, maybe admitting my wrongs today. I didn't think Deshaun Watson was going to be a great NFL quarterback. Right. I thought Mahomes was going to be a disaster of an NFL quarterback. Well, let's talk about not going to be great in the NFL. How about Lamar Jackson? I didn't think he was going to be good at all. I don't think anybody – they tried to convert him to a wide receiver. Yeah. Like, he's like, no, I'm a quarterback. I'm going to play quarterback. And I gave him all the credit. Yeah. I genuinely like Lamar Jackson. Me too. I don't like when people make fun of the way he speaks or any of that nonsense stuff. That That's not something that needs to be talked about. Uh, and if we want to understand, he's working on that. But th- that has nothing to do with – who he is as a football player. Yeah. That's just, you know, ancillary stuff that people, ignorant people bring up. I continued, just because I'm stubborn and I want to be right, 
like continually. Well, he it's gonna end. The next week he's not gonna be that good. <laughs> then he has four touchdowns and two rushing exactly. touchdowns. Yeah. And he come back like I should just shut up. Yeah. I should quit talking about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think he came well, evidently Baltimore knew something everybody else didn't. I yeah. give credit. I don't know if it was Harbaugh, I don't know who it was, but you have to give them all the credit in the world. That's what I think about both Reed and Harbaugh. I was about to say also with Patrick Mahomes. He knew. Andrew yep. and uh, Andy Reed I think he did the same thing with Donovan McNabb. He yep. overperformed McNabb. Right. He's doing that with Mahomes. Yep. And I hate it for those two guys because they got overshadowed their whole career by this Belichick guy. Yeah, so, really. But these, those two guys are excellent. Yeah, and I was so glad that Reed finally got one. Me too. I, I think he's. I think his players genuinely love him. He seems. No, I don't know him from Adam, but seems like a fairly decent human, so to speak, uh, and, and a great coach. So I'm glad he finally got one. So we've done general NFL talk. Uh, so the the Chiefs going into next season, you you would assume has to come in as the favorite, right? Yeah, I would say so. YouTube. I think it all also depends on what Brady's going to do. There's a lot of you know, is he coming back to New England? Is he going somewhere else? Uh, but he's kind of on the on the downward he is. trend happens. of his career. And, but he's just based on his age alone. Yeah, and Patrick Mahomes is super young. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson is super young. Um, so these guys are up and coming. I, I would never count out the Patriots, though, with Belichick and Brady. Um, but, yeah, I think Kansas City is by far the favorite for next year. And I think San Francisco has a chance to go back as well. Going into the, every season for the last 20 years, I've just picked the Patriots right. every season. I do think that's finally over. Yeah. Uh, that defense this year was great, and I do think Brady's going to stay. There's yeah. there's too much young talent in the AFC yeah. with the Texans. But, but Belichick's got to get some weapons for Brady. Like mm-hmm. there's there's not a lot of talent there, and it's unusual to say that. AJ Green is open now. Yeah. AJ Green, one of the best receivers in the league, yeah. full free agent. If they don't go pay him, it is almost like saying, "Ah, eh, we don't care if we win." Yeah, th- it seemed like this year was like, you know what, we're just gonna make do with what we have, and we're not gonna win it. And by the way, it worked for twelve. Ga- it worked for twelve wins. It really did. And yeah, we division. say they're not good, and they win twelve games. So yeah, that's why that, that <laughs> fan base so spoiled. We right. won twelve games this year. Went to the playoffs. Oh, no. You know what? I'd have loved to go to the playoffs. Yeah. My team was eight and eight. <laughs> you Look, spoiled. I like the Dolphins, so I don't even want to talk you, about oh, it. Oh gosh. All right, uh, we'll be back with uh, some more sports. I'm talk maybe next week or the week after. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, peace and love.